This is the third Sunday of Advent, and today we light the candle of joy. Some believe that joy is an emotion, a feeling of great pleasure. That joy is related to or is the same as happiness. That they are synonymous, but are they really the same? Happiness is an emotion connected to circumstances. It even shares the same root word with happenings. Happiness is a result of circumstances coming and going with the ebb and flow of life, changing with moods and reactions. On the other hand, joy is much deeper. Joy is sustaining. Joy is found in God's presence. Joy is present in and response to any circumstance with certainty that God is in control. Joy is the confidence, the assurance, the peace of mind that comes from knowing who is in control, God, and not us. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God goes on to create the firmament, land and water, lights in the sky, plants above and below the sea, creatures of all shapes and sizes, and finally man. But he didn't stop there. He also had a plan to restore man to himself, even before sin entered our world. He already knew the path man would take. It did not take him by surprise. God is, always has been, and always will be in control. Mm -hmm. Nothing escapes him. It is that reality that makes joy possible. Joy comes from a reconciled relationship with God, which we call salvation. Joy increases when we realize Christ left all that he knew, all the power in heaven, and limited himself to becoming human. Joy soars when we understand that Jesus took the punishment we deserve, and we will never have to face the cross. God offers joy to all, but it is only experienced when life is rooted in a surrendered life with God. Christ experienced the reality of joy as intimate relationship with the Father. Joy of that relationship restored kept Jesus going as he faced the complete isolation and wrath of God on the cross. In Hebrews 12.12 it reads, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's through Christ's example we are shown that we can have joy in any circumstance. Paul also demonstrates joy as he sings while bound in chains, as he's shipwrecked, as he's beaten, as he continually praises and rejoices through trial after trial. James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There is very little that can affect true joy. In fact, the only way we lose our joy is when our eyes are not on God, when we are not living a surrendered or focused life on Him. David experienced joy. He had taken his eyes off God. He had sinned and gone his own way. He wasn't listening, wasn't obeying. He had lost his joy. In Psalm 51, he pleads for the restoration of his relationship with God. When he pleads for the restoration of his joy, Psalm 51, verse 12, 
Restore to me joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David surrendered to the Lord once again, and the Lord reached in and worked in David's life. David refocused on God, and his joy was restored. Joy and a surrendered relationship with Christ go hand in hand, not just a superficial surface relationship, but a surrendered, whatever your will is, type of relationship. Joy and surrender are so intertwined that without the one, we can't truly experience the other. Joy cannot be produced on our own will, but it can be chosen. It only comes from a deepening, surrendered relationship with God. We can gain joy from spending time with God, knowing who he is. One of God's names in Hebrew is El Shem Shah. Oh, boy. El Shem Shah Gila. Gila? Gila. Thank you. She threw a curve at No wonder you gave me this one to read. <laughs> but that's all right. You can look it up. If, if you stumble, know that it is God. He loves you. This is translated as God, my joyful joy. I mean, that's greater joy. Last week, we began to talk about Christmas in Genesis. And just by way of review in your outline, I put um, some bullet points that Advent is about incarnation rather than Christmas. Christmas was... Christ Mass. It was just a liturgical service that commemorated the birth of Christ. That's what, and, and is now been hijacked by our culture to be all kinds of other stuff. And, and, and so our celebration is about the incarnation. However it, however it happened, whenever it happened, it's about the incarnation. It's about him coming in flesh. God's original plan, we said, was for us to be co-laborers with him. And so we look back in Genesis and we saw God's plan was for us to work alongside of him. It wasn't just to sit across the table and drink coffee with God. It was for us to, to, to cooperate with him on his purpose for this creation that he had made. We also saw that God's original purpose has not changed. It wasn't thwarted by Adam and Eve's sin. It was Upturn, uh, turned upside down, but God is still working on that, and he will deliver. Incarnation, we saw, was the beginning of restoration of that original plan, and, has, and it was an invasion in the cosmic war. So as we go forward today with this idea, and it's really about Christ in Genesis, it's really about Jesus in Genesis more than Christmas, um, so our goal today is to understand how Jesus has been, is, and will always be with us. He will always be there. There were times when I was growing up when I wondered where God was. Did you ever have that? Wondered why God wasn't protecting me, why God wasn't providing the way that I thought he should, why he had me in the situation that I was growing up in. Why, where are you, God, and why, what in the world is happening? And then in 1984, um, I was ordained as a pastor. In the Church of God, we have the system where you're not ordained automatically when you graduate from Bible college or seminary, but rather you go into ministry, they license you, and then they um, take you through this mentoring process to make sure that God's call is really on you. 
And the ordination process then is a recognition by other pastors and by, by people in the church that yes, God's hand is upon that person. And so after I was in the ministry for a couple of years, in 1984, they had a, we had a service of ordination. I was officially credentialed in the Church of God. My mom and my dad came over. I was pastoring in Beaver at the time, Beaver, Pennsylvania. And we had this ordination service with all the bells and whistles that come along with that. And at the end, I was greeting some people, and my mom and dad were still in the sanctuary. Everybody else had gone downstairs to eat cake which is what you do in the church, right? There's always got to be food when anything good happens. And my mom came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. She said, I never wanted to tell you this because I didn't want to influence you. I didn't want you to feel any pressure. But on the, on the day that I went into the delivery room after carrying you for nine months, I gave you to God. I prayed and said, God, I want you to have this child and I want you to do with him whatever you want to do with him. And reflecting upon that, I realized that it wasn't my mom's idea. It was the Holy Spirit's nudging to pray that over me because I don't know that she prayed that over my siblings. It was the Holy Spirit nudging her because God had a plan for me. Since that time, God has taken me on a journey of reflecting on all the times when he was there. And a lot of times it was moments when I didn't think he was. But he brought to mind, I protected you here. I watched over you there. Remember, I reminded you there. I brought this person into your life. And so often when I felt like God wasn't there, he's shown me, oh yes, I've always been there. Now, I say that not for you, as Randy said, to think it's all about me. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> because God is there for you, too. For every single person, God is always there. Jesus is always there. My observation is that there, I think everybody has moments when they wonder where God was, where God is. And it appears to me that there's a whole lot of people in our world right now asking where God is because of all the craziness and all of the illness and all of the death that, it, that has been occurring. And then, um, and then what about Jesus? I think it's pretty standard for Christians to give the Sunday school answer that, well, God has always existed. I mean, that's pretty standard, right? God has always existed. God is somehow, some way present. But there's a misunderstanding about who God is. Um, and we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in this idea that it was a different God in the Old Testament than it was in the New Testament. Because God is the same always. And he was the same loving God he, in the Old Testament as he, as, he, as he was when he sent Jesus. His character hasn't changed. His presence hasn't changed. God and, and his plan and his purposes haven't changed. And what about Jesus? It may, may not be as, as standard an understanding that, about, you know, so 
most people say God has always existed. But what about Jesus? We ha- I, I think we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in this idea that Jesus showed up when he came, when he was born of Mary. He was in the incarnate, he came in flesh at that point. But did you realize that Jesus has always been there? And he is always there and he will always be there. So when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, it's not the first time he's been involved. Jesus has always, is always, and always will be present. And so in our second message of this series of, the reality of, of Christmas and Genesis, I want to talk about the realities of Jesus' presence. The realities of Jesus' presence. So pull out your outline and jot down some notes. The first reality is that Jesus is always there. He's always there. Always. Always there. Do you have any relatives who are not always there? They seem to show up when they want something. Or they need something. Or maybe you ask them to bring the hard-boiled or the deviled eggs to the Christmas gathering so they do show up. But they're not always around, and quite frankly, you don't really want them around very often, right? They just show up at holidays, and then you get enough of them, and you realize that's why we don't invite them all over. (laughs) Is God like that? Just shows up when you need him? Just shows up when you ask for him? No. He's always there, and Jesus is always present. So I put some bullet points there where Jesus has always been present. Always. If you look in your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you might be able to quote it. You might want to open it there because we're going to be looking at some scriptures there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, what's the next word? God. God created the heavens and the earth. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God Father, Son, Holy Spirit has always existed. Always existed. Jesus has always existed. And we'll talk more about that as we go forward. Jesus is always there. Always, always, always. So now flip over to Psalm 139. Keep your finger in Genesis 1. But go over to to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And, I, and I'm spending significant time on this whole idea that God is always present. If you need a Bible, just slip it for him. We got some extra pew Bibles that you can use. Anybody else need, anybody else need one? So, so Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 to 18. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been functioning always. Always, always, always. Psalm 139. Beginning with verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In other words, God is always there. It's the characteristic of God um, in theology known as omnipresent. Omni meaning every, all. Present meaning present. (laughs) Omnipresent, all present. He's everywhere, everywhere. There is no place he's not. And so when he says, even in Sheol, the place of the dead, even in hell, God can't not be present, right? So he is present. God is everywhere. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't show up with the incarnation. He's always been there. Verse 13, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is in charge. God is is in control. God is the one who gives the ability for a man and a woman to make a child, which is why abortion is wrong. Because God has formed that child from the moment of conception. God has been there all along. How precious to me are your thoughts. I'm I'm sorry, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, Your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows the days for me. And we talked about that in learning community. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Jesus is always there. He has always been there and he is always with us. There is no place we can go away from him. There is no place... We can escape God. And he will always be there. He will always be there. Revelation 22, the last two verses. I'll just read them for you. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. From the beginning, in the beginning, God, the last two verses of the book of Revelation, I'm coming soon. Jesus has always been there. He is always there. He always will be there. Number two. The second reality is that Jesus was always there in Genesis. Jesus was always there in Genesis. So flip back to Genesis chapter 1. In chapter 1, we see that when Adam and Eve were obedient, Jesus... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God was there. One of the things that it's probably important for you to understand is that when you read through the Old Testament and you see God interacting with people, when you see uh, God becoming visible to people, so Abraham is there in his tent and, and God comes along with two, two angels and they're, they're visiting Abraham, that's Jesus. When God shows up incarnate, when God shows up in visible form, that's Jesus showing up. And so what we see is in the beginning, God. So he created all things. 
It was Father, Son, Holy Spirit that were there with him. And then, then he gave them um, his, his instructions. Multiply, fill the whole earth, take care of the garden, name the animals. God brought the animals. Who do you think brought the animals to Adam and Eve? It was Jesus. He brought. He delighted in them. So, but when man was obedient, Jesus was there. When man rebelled, God was there. As we'll see in just a moment. He was with them when they rebelled. Now, here's a sobering application to this idea. When you are all by yourself and you are considering making a choice to do something that you know is, is sin, and you think nobody is watching, God is there. Amen. We're going to read in just a moment, we're going to read in Genesis chapter 3, there's Adam and Eve talking to the serpent, demonic force. And it almost appears as if God isn't around. But God was there. He's always there. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Where was God? In the vicinity. He was around somewhere. Even if, they, even if Adam and Eve didn't notice he was there, he was there. Why? Because God is omnipresent. You can't go anywhere to get away from God. God is everywhere all the time. There is no place when God, where God is not. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And there's so much commentary I could do on this right now, but we're not going there. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When they rebelled, God was there. He wasn't revealing himself. They had I don't know, fooled themselves to think that he wasn't around. I, I, don't, I don't know what was going through their minds. The Bible doesn't tell us what was going through their minds. But he was there, and he was watching, and he knew. After they rebelled, after man rebelled, and God disciplined him, Jesus was there. We'll come to more of this um, in the near future. But what we need to understand is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was there when they sinned and they're pronouncing sentence. So let's pick it up in verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Evidently, this was the habit. And so God would come incarnate, Jesus in, in form. He would come incarnate. Father, Son, Holy Spirit were there, but Jesus was the one in, in flesh. It, not in, no, 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 that's not right. Not in flesh, but in visible form. He wasn't flesh yet, that's the incarnation, but he was in visible form. He made himself visible and they heard him. 
And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They thought they could hide from God. You can't hide from God. Once again, every time you make a decision, every time you make a choice, every time you face a worry, every time you're in a conflict, every time you're struggling with something, every time you're hurting or you're sick or you're happy and you're rejoicing, every time, every time, God is there. He's there. He's there. And he loves you beyond any comprehension, beyond any, anything that makes sense. He loves you and he cares for you. He wants what's best for you. That's who God is. And he's always there. But they tried to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. It, it, just write, write this down. It never works. Amen. It never works. You can't hide from, you can only fool yourself. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, where are you? Now, does God ever ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to? It's kind of like a parent, right? <laughs> You walk into the kid, the kid, the boys are in the room and they have torn the room completely apart. And you walk in the room and go, what are you kids doing? Is it because you don't know? No, you know exactly what's going on. God asked the question to cause us to think and consider what we're doing. And so he asks, where are you? God, and, and I want you to notice too, God is the one that sought them out. He is the one that initiated the repentance, initiated the reconciliation. That's the way it works for everybody. Nobody, look, look at me. Nobody ever finds Jesus. In fact, I give you permission. If anybody ever talks to you about, you know, getting to know God and accepting Christ as Savior, and you say, oh, I found Jesus. Correct him. Just stop him right there. Go, no, you didn't find him. He found you. You just turned around and he was there. Right? So, God always, that's why repentance is initiated by God. That's why we pray for lost people, because they can't understand. They even need God, except that the Holy Spirit does it. And so he says, the Lord God called out to them. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the, free, of, of the tree of which I command you not to eat? God already knew, but he asked the question to get Adam the opportunity to confess. Didn't do a very good job of it. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, so he blames God, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And in 2022, we're going to be in several ways digging into all of that happened here. And then our memory verse. I will put enmity. Enmity is severe, deep, strong hatred. Animosity toward one another. I will put this conflict. I will put this hatred. I will put this... Um, um, enmity is enemies. You will become enemies between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then even, even as, even here. And so this is the reason why we chose this verse because it is the promise of the incarnation. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Talking about Jesus. Now, 
Was Jesus there? Yeah, Jesus was there. Jesus is a part of pronouncing the punishment and the promise, and he knows what it's going to cost him. Did, when God created everything, did he know Adam and Eve would sin? Yeah, he did. Because God is not only omnipresent, he's omniscient. He knows everything. Everything. And so he here pronounces the punishment. There's going to be enmity between the demonic forces of evil and God. And God's going to ultimately win. The offspring of the woman will ultimately destroy the devil's work. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Ladies, it's all Eve's fault. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. So God's original plan is not thwarted. God's original plan, multiply, increase, multiply, fill the earth. They're still going to do that, but there's going to be pain to take care of the earth. You're still going to do that, but it's going to be hard by the sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles and all that. Now, God could have disowned them. He could have destroyed them. And, and if, it, in perfect, if it was perfect justice, he would have. He would have just destroyed them right there. Start over with somebody else. But he didn't. He chose to maintain his plan through this creation. And, our, and so that's what our memory verse. Jesus would come incarnate in the flesh. And he would live. He would die. He would be resurrected. And he would destroy the work of the devil. I looked it up in, in one of the commentaries. It says, if you crush the head of a, a venomous uh, being, it destroys them. If you, if you strike the head, it kills them. And so, it's going, and, and so the description is, the devil is going to do horrible things to the offspring of the woman, Jesus. He's going to go to the cross. But the cross will destroy the devil. Jesus was there knowing that it all would happen. And he is here for you. No matter how bad you've messed up your life, no matter how many times you've sinned, he's there for us. And he's the one initiating it. So when you feel sorrow, that's because he wants you to come back. When you, and, and, but when you get this thing in your head, I'm too bad for God to save. I've done too many things. I'm a horrible person. That's the enemy trying to keep you away. And then after the man rebelled, Jesus was there to provide. Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And so even after their rebellion, God is the one that provides. God is there. He's providing. He's protecting. And then I put another bullet point there. Throughout time, Jesus was still there. Jesus has always been there. 
So if we, if we go farther into Genesis, we find that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and that, those, that brother relationship was antagonistic, and, and God came to Cain. Remember that? Came to Cain and says, what are you doing? This, you know, disaster is on your doorstep. Don't do it. Turn away from the sin. That was God taking initiative. Who was that? It was Jesus trying to reach into his life and pull him back. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God shows up in visible form over and over and over and over and over to Abraham multiple times. Then we go in the book of Exodus to Moses and then to Joshua. And then all through the Old Testament, Jesus is showing up, showing up, showing up. Jesus has always been there. And so when we're talking about Christmas in Genesis, we're talking about Christmas throughout the whole Old Testament. Jesus has always, Jesus wasn't created when he was born. He's always been there, but he took on flesh throughout the Old Testament. Jesus has never not been present in history. Nothing has ever happened in all of time where God wasn't present. So what is the problem? Because it so often doesn't look like it. Brings us to reality number three. The issue is the way Jesus will be there for us. How Jesus is present and what he does in our lives is um, at least in part contingent upon us rather than him. There are two ways that Jesus is in our lives. Two ways. One of two ways. He's either in the vicinity or he's in charge. But he's there. It's just a matter of what we allow him to do. And for most of our lives... (laughs) And in, in, if, we're not, if we're not intentionally paying attention, we just allow God to be in the vicinity rather than to be in charge. As long as Adam and Eve served God, was cooperated with them, they were co-laborers in the garden, it was a perfect relationship, God was in charge. He was in charge because they were cooperating. They were being obedient. They were, they were doing what they were supposed to do. And as a result, God could be in charge because he's the one that should be in charge. He's the only one that can fill the throne in the, in the proper way. But when we choose to be in charge, when we don't allow him to be in charge, we take the throne and we mess it up. And we, when we force God to take the sidelines. When they rebelled, God was no longer in charge of, of what was going to happen because they had made choices that sent the trajectory of life in a certain way. The que- here's, so here's the question. It's a question of authority. And it's interesting because I did a message on this. I think it was at the end of the Job series in 2020, summer of 2020. On, and God revealed it to me. And then over the last couple of weeks, he's reminded me of this. And then yesterday in the, in the men's study, the speaker said the same thing. And it's, and it's, it's this question of authority. When God created mankind, put them in the Garden of Eden, he gave them authority, personal authority over their lives to make the choices to obey or not to obey. Right? Am I right? You following me so far? And so for whatever period of time, they obeyed and they made the choice and they, they, they were making the choice. They were making the choice. And then they made the choice to rebel. And in that moment, then they it began to experience the consequences of that. When they're walking in obedience, God was in charge. When 
And so here's the principle. I don't think I put it in your outline. Here's the principle. God will, God will not usurp the authority he has given to us. He will not make you make a choice. Oh, he can make it really uncomfortable. He can accomplish something around you. He can circumvent you. But he will not force you to choose him, to accept him as a savior. He will not force you to obey him because he has given us authority in our lives. He has given, otherwise, we would be robots. And so we have the choice to choose him or not to choose him. When we go our own way, we are choosing to say, God, I don't want you to be in control of my life. But when we surrender, listen, obey, we are, so God won't, for, won't usurp the authority, but he will receive our, the authority that we have when we surrender. And, when we res- and so we are on the throne of our lives until we say, God, I want you to be on the throne of our lives. Does that, am I making sense? Is this, okay? So we, we ha- always have the choice to go our own way or to surrender, listen, and obey. Jesus Lord, I just pray that you would just guide my thoughts, guide my words right here. That you would help us to really understand what we need to understand. Jesus died to give us abundant life. We can have that abundant life when we choose to surrender, listen, and obey. But he will not force it. He will not go against our, the authority that, of choice that we have. That's the issue with every choice that we make. Every choice. Am I going to follow him or am I going to do it my way? And so on my knees this morning, I was praying about this and I sensed God say, we need to make this practical. We need to make this practical. So I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I I want you to ask him to show you some key ways um, that he has shown up in your life in the last year. Some important moments when he revealed himself to you or when he protected you, when he provided for you, when he directed you or gave you assurance. Just, just ask him to, to point those out. And, and right now, to, to bring him to mind. And I want you to thank you for thank him for it. Because it's it's because he loved you. He because he loves you and he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be in charge. And when he's in charge, he does those things. Oh, he may protect you sometimes when you don't you're not even allowing him to be in charge. That's grace. Okay, open your eyes.
So many of those moments that he brought to mind is because you were surrendering, listening, and obeying. You were cooperating with him. You were letting him have authority in your life at that moment and not insisting on your own way. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Here's, right, here's some actionable ways that we can walk in that alignment with him. Surrendering and listening and obeying. Because it's, it's all about walking in step with him. It's all about letting him be in charge. It's all about being aware of him. And so a daily time with God. None of this is going to be new, but I want you to write it down. A daily time with God. I can't tell you the power of starting your days on your knees. There's something about getting on your knees and saying, God, I give, I give myself to you this day. I surrender and I ask that you would take charge. I want you to have the God place today. What you're doing in that point is you're surrendering your authority and saying, God, I want, to, I want you to be in charge. I want you to be the authority of my life. And so having a daily time with God, and that's, that's why we do all, all these things and provide all these things, is having a daily time with God. A devotional book that you get, get a perspective from somebody else, and, and we try hard to get a devotional book that's not fluff. And Dallas Willard's not fluff. Um, and so using that every day. And then a journal. We provide Bible readings every day, and we're, we're going to take the same, try to take the same um, path that we did last, last year, is giving you a Bible, a, a short enough passage where you read it through the first time, and then you read it through a second time saying, God, what is it you want to say to me today? And then we provide journal pages. I don't, I don't use the journal pages in here. I have a, a leather-bound journal that I use. Uh, just a place to write down. So when you read the scripture, you read the devotion book, you sense what God is saying, a lesson that he has, some way he wants you to, to align with your word for the year, you write it down so that you can capture it. Because here's what will happen. If you don't write down what God is saying to you, the devil will come and take it. Amen. Remember Jesus' parable about, you know, the word comes and the devil tries to take it away. But by putting it in a journal, you can look back and, and say, oh yeah, God was saying that to me. So have a daily appointment with God and knees and nudges is another one. Knees and nudges. Start your day on your knees. It doesn't have to be a long time, but just the physical position of humility and surrender and then asking God to just be, be in alignment and pay attention to the nudges. Might be a thought, might be a circumstance. Just pay attention to the nudges and follow the nudges as you go throughout your day. The word for the year is another one. We are, we, um, we, iron can only be sharpened by another hard surface. And so part of giving God the authority of our lives is making sure we're with other people, whether it be a men's or women's Bible study. Um, I, I really believe that the learning communities that we do on Thursday and Friday are going to be absolutely key in 2022. So if you haven't been a part of it, I encourage you to make it a priority now. Um, unless, unless you just want, I mean, unless you just want to fumble, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, is you have to do the hard things if you're going to grow and really experience all that God has for you. Amen. It's really as simple as that. And, and I don't need to add more stuff to my schedule. You know, 
the learning communities are purely because I believe that's what God wants us to do and because I want you to become all that God wants you to be and experience all the life that God has. And I want us to be, as a, as a, uh, as a church family, be all that we can. Prayer gatherings, being together, Sunday worship, all those kinds of things. Jesus has always been there. In all of creation and in your life. He was there before your mom and dad looked at each other with a wink in their eye and then you were conceived. (laughs) He was there. He was there when you were being formed for those months. He was there when you were born. He's been there every day. Because he is the God of all creation who loves you beyond comprehension. And when you feel like he's not there, it's not because he's not. It might be because you're not paying attention. It might be just because he, he needs you to struggle a little bit. But what I know is he will never ever allow anything or do anything except that it's for our highest good. He's always there. And he's always available. And it, it's just it's amazing to me because over the last couple of years with this paying attention, walking in step, knees and nudges, the, all the moments when I just pause and say, God, what do you want here? And then he tells me and he shows me and he opens up doors and he sends people. It's just, and, and he's just waiting. But we have to be willing to surrender Control or authority or our own selfishness, however you want to say it. And when we do, we delight him because he says, that's what I created for. He's always been there. He will be there. And he, he, he is here and he will always be with you. And on the day that you breathe your last, you'll be there. Whether you belong to him or not is your choice. Jesus is always there. Would you bow your heads? What is it that caught your attention today? And why did it stick out? There's a reason. And it comes from God who loves you. What does he want you to do with it? It's his invitation from love to let him be in control. Let him guide you. Let him protect you. Let him use you. But surrender that authority. He won't force it. I mean, he'll make you uncomfortable but he invites you. Lord, I pray that you would guide each of us to what you want us to hold on to, what you want us to apply, that you would give each of us the determination and the perseverance to do what you want us to do. Lord, I pray as we head into 2022 that you will 
guide us as a, guide us as a church family to bring delight to you by how we live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.